So friends, um, here we are um, on Zoom together. Oh my goodness. Thank you for showing up today and for being fully open to God, um, for being open to each other. I know this is an unusual way of us meeting. And so just know that we appreciate you and we appreciate this time together. The other thing is that um, today's message, um, I'm, I, there's just a couple of passages in scripture we're looking at and can't get a full theology of hell, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about today from a few uh, verses. So I invite you, if you have questions, you know, um, go through them with your small group, reach out to me or someone on the pastor team. We'd love to share more. Um, yeah. And just look more in scripture at what scripture actually says about what happens um, when we die. So with that, with that in mind, let's go ahead and pray. Holy Spirit, breathe your words of love, inspiration, conviction, and hope to our hearts. Now, as we look into your word, we pray that you will speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. So it was about 10 years ago, I was serving on staff at this friendly little Lutheran church in Mililani. And um, as part of our worship together, we would say the Apostles' Creed every single week. And it's one of the oldest affirmations of our faith. It has roots dating back to the second century, and it's affirmed by Christians of all stripes and streams of the faith, whether you're Catholic or Orthodox or Protestant. So our little church community would recite this creed on the screen before we took communion together every week. So the whole congregation, they're facing the screen. You know, they're reading it, although most people memorized it. But me, I was sitting at the piano away from the screen, ready to, you know, sing and play. And every week as we said this creed, I realized that I kept dropping the same four words every single week to the point where it got a little embarrassing. And it, it should be no big deal, right? But the microphone was on. And so I learned to get really good at kind of like moving away from the mic and kind of mumbling so that nobody noticed when I forgot the same four words every week. <laughs> That's really spiritually authentic of me, isn't it? <laughs> so, so healthy, so healthy. Um, so yeah, uh, that was, that was, that was that. Um, and I'm, I'm going to show you the Apostles' Creed now. Hopefully it'll be on the screen. I'm trying to look around and see whether we can see it. Um, Okay, this one's throwing me a bit off, but I just won't think about it. Okay, can you see that somewhere on your screen? Yay, it's there. Okay, here it is. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And then I'd forget these four words, he descended into hell. I'd skip. He's crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. I did this every week. He descended into hell. Maybe the reason why I kept forgetting these four words is because, frankly, it's not something that the stream of the faith I grew up in we ever talked about. Now, perhaps this is a new idea for you, too. So as we continue today in our worship series on cruciformed, what it means for us to live and learn from the foot of the cross, as we look at how we can be people shaped by the cruciformed life, um, these, these four words meant something very special to the early church, so special they, they preserved it for us. 
But why? That's what we're going to look at today, these four words that I kept forgetting. And some of you might think, more importantly, where is it found in Scripture? So there's a couple of scripture passages that invite us to wonder a little bit about what Jesus did after his crucifixion and death, right? When Jesus died on Good Friday, he was in the tomb on Holy Saturday. This is where scripture, this is where church tradition tells us he descended into hell. So where do we find that in scripture? So there's a couple of scriptures I'm going to just briefly look at before we go into the meat of our passage. There's so much scripture today. Feel free if you want to take a screenshot or take a photo of it with your phone just to look at these passages more on your own. That would be great. Um, so the first one is Ephesians 4 um, verses 8 through 10. And I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to give you a little summary. This passage tells us that Jesus descended to the lowest place and then brought freedom with him. He took captivity itself captive as he ascended to heaven. So kind of like how you'd expect like a, a rescue party might go and, you know, rescue an animal that's fallen into a ditch or like a rescue party might rescue someone who's been kidnapped and bring them out. We have this picture in Ephesians 4 of Jesus descending to the lowest place and taking captivity itself captive. Then there's Acts 2, 24 through 27. They're quoting the psalmist actually in Psalm 16, which says, and they said, God did not abandon Jesus in hell, but raised him up from it. So then you got to ask yourself, wait, if God didn't abandon Jesus in hell, that means he was there. And then there's Romans 10, 6 through 17. And Apollos is painting a picture in this passage of how near Christ is to us, how near Jesus is to us. And scripture is saying, Paul saying, you don't have to go up to heaven, you know, ascend all the way up and bring him down. And you don't have to descend to the place of the dead and bring him up assuming that Jesus was in both those places, heaven and also in the world of the dead. So Paul's saying, you don't have to ascend and bring him down or descend and bring him up, but he is here right now with you closer than the words on your mouth, which is just beautiful. And then in Revelation 1, we see this picture of the risen Christ, and he's carrying the keys of hell and of death, which means that hell and death have been defeated. They don't get to triumph over any part of God's good, peaceful, loving creation. So if you want to take a screenshot of that, you can, just to kind of look at on your own some other time. But we're going to look at the, the two passages today um, that talk about Jesus preaching in the most unusual place, a sermon we forgot Jesus preached, a sermon we forget Jesus preached. And this is from 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20. So if you have your sermon notes, um, I think they're on our website at www.wellspringhawaii.org. Um, you can have the sermon notes there, or you can just read along with me here. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. That's our first passage in 1 Peter 3. Next one, Peter picks up the same thread again in 1 Peter 4. This is starting in verse 3. He's talking to this church. You've already spent enough time in doing what the Gentiles like to do, living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of dissipation, and so they blaspheme. 
but they will have to give an accounting to him who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was proclaimed, even to the dead, so that, though they had been judged in the flesh as everyone is judged, they might live in the spirit as God does. So this, friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we hear this teaching from Peter, that after Jesus' body was killed, after he was murdered, even though his body was dead, his spirit was alive. And in that spirit, he went down to the place of the dead and preached. Now that's a sermon I'm not so familiar with. And scripture doesn't give us any, any clues as to what Jesus said, but it does tell us that he proclaimed the gospel, which means good news. So somehow good news even found its way into the lowest place, the darkest place you can imagine in the realm of the dead. Now there's a lot going on in these two passages I just read. You might be like, what? What is going on? You might have a lot of questions. I know I do. Before we get to that unfamiliar part of, of our passages, I just want to start with something that is a little bit more expected. And these aren't on your message notes, but they're nuggets I want us to remember anyway. The first one is that our being and our doing in this life right now matters, right? Our being and doing matters. As Peter's writing to the church, he's describing all these ways of being and doing that have a shelf life. They're not going to be part of God's renewed, peaceful, generous community. Right? All the ways that are selfish and exploitative, they're not going to be part of God's new creation. So the first one is that our being and doing in this life matters. And I think that's this old news for us, right? We know that. We talk about that all the time. Not something that's familiar to us. Another thing that's familiar with us is that there will be a final reckoning, right? Scripture tells us here that um, they're going to have to give an accounting to him. We're going to have to give an accounting to God for you know, how we were in this life as part of um, us being accountable for the precious gifts we're given, the precious gift of life, right? We know from reading other scriptures that there will come a time, right, there's a final reckoning. We also know there's ways of living and doing that will be judged and eradicated, right? There is going to be no exploitation. There's going to be no violence. There's going to be no selfishness or greed. None of that way is going to be part of the new heavens and the new earth, there's going to be no captivity, no oppression. Death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire to experience their complete and utter end. So these are two takeaways from the text that are not surprising, right? They're, if you've attended church for a while or maybe grown up in a Christian family or attended a Christian school, you know this already, right? Something that we don't expect in this text is everything else, <laughs> the whole rest of it, right? Jesus while he's dead, goes and preaches to those who are also dead in the place of dead. Now, the, the word used here is not the word we usually translate as hell. Actually, if you look at um, really accurate word-for-word -word translations of scripture, and you look at scripture's entire whole, there's only 13 places in scripture where the word hell in English is mentioned. Only 13 places out of all the thousands of words spoken. And 12 of them are from Jesus's own words in his parables. And even though it's translated in our words as hell, in Jesus's, right, he's speaking in Hebrew and it's written down in Greek, he's actually referring to the Valley of Hinnon or Gehenna. There's a whole teaching on that that we're not going to get to today, right? And we translate it as hell. Whole teaching that we're not going to get to today. Just rest assured that 
Here in this text, we don't see the word hell, but we see Jesus going to a place where there are dead people and where they're stuck there. And chances are um, it's not the good place because he goes to free them. So we can't construct, as I said earlier, entire theology of hell, but there are some principles we can take from these passages in Peter. Some principles we can take from the sermon we forget Jesus preached. So I invite you, if you want to write them down, fill them out in your notes. Um, I should have them on the slides in just a second. The first principle we can take from Jesus preaching to the dead is that God cares more about humanity than people do. God cares more about humanity than people do. I mean, depending on what stream of the faith you grew up in, you might be a little uncomfortable with the idea that Jesus went and preached to those who are dead, right? At least in, in our modern times, in the last couple hundred of years, we've moved away from some of the church's historical teaching that we've had for thousands of years on the subject. So we're part of this stream of the faith called evangelicalism. And we tend to make this really black and white, right? You make your choices in this life and that's it. But historically, our fathers and mothers of the faith, the ancient mystics, even more modern theologians like Calvin and Luther and C.S. Lewis, they all allowed a lot more room for God to act in the next life than we do. I remember my family had this set of R.C. Sprawl commentaries on the books of the Bible, and he was a 20th century theologian, so more modern, and he affirms Jesus' descent to hell. He says, yes, he goes there. But then he says that Jesus descended to hell to preach to the righteous, the righteous dead there who he brought back, who he released. There's a lot of modern-day evangelicals that will affirm this. Jesus went and preached to the righteous dead. But in our text, because we always want to ask ourselves, where is it written, right, when we're doing theology? Where is it written? Um, Peter actually helps us a little bit out in this text in terms of where, um, uh, who Jesus preached to, because it describes some of the people who were there. I just want to draw your attention here um, on the PowerPoint. It says that he went and he preached to the spirits in prison whom in former times did not obey. So he's not talking about Noah and his family who are on the ark, right? It says, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. So this is what the text says. The text tells us that Jesus went and he preached to these people who didn't listen. They're the ones who didn't listen to Noah's preaching and Noah's invitation God's invitation through Noah to, to be rescued from the ecological disaster that was facing them, that was coming up on them, that they were really blind to. So it's not the righteous people that Jesus is preaching here to. It's the disobedient. It's those who are stubborn and hard-headed. He was preaching to people who chose poorly in their lifetime. God cares more about people than we do because he cared about them when they were alive, right? He didn't want them to suffer through the flood. He wanted them to turn from the ways in which they were living in that were really violent and really exploitative. And he wanted them to be part of God's peaceful and joyous renewal of the world after the flood. So that's why they were invited to go on the boat. God cared about their, their life they were living as they were alive. And God cares, cared about their afterlife too as we see Jesus descending to the place of the dead with good news. Now, as Christians, we tend to fall into camps, and some of our camps emphasize uh, one of these ways of caring about people more than others. 
if I was going to paint with a really broad brush, I would say that sometimes conservative Christianity uh, can be really concerned with people's afterlife, right? Wanting people's souls to be saved so people can spend eternity with God in God's loving embrace, right? And then on another end of the spectrum, you might have some progressive Christians who are really concerned about people's lives now, people who might be living in hellish situations with injustice or poverty or hardship or oppression that need to be rescued with the light of God's love. So Christians, we tend to emphasize one or the other, right? Life later or life now. And yet God cares about both. God cares about the life we live in this body, in this world right now. And God cares about the life in the world to come. And Jesus preaches to those who are stubborn and hard-headed to lead them out where they've been stuck. This brings us to the second principle we can find from the sermon we forget Jesus preached. And that's this. God's loving intent doesn't end when we die. God's loving intent for us doesn't end when we die. Now, what does end when we die? Well, our earthly life as we know it ends, right? The window closes in on the time frame that we know best, which is this life. But what we, we don't know for certain is the extent of God's grace and mercy, which is impossible to predict. Right, religious people, I think the more religious you are, the more people try to define the limits of God's grace, right? Who's in, who's out? And religious people have tended to get it wrong, right? Like the Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus' day, who are very clear on who was going to make it and who wasn't. And in the meantime, they missed out on God in the flesh with them. So what doesn't end when we die, according to 1 Peter, is God's loving intent for us, right? We, it's impossible to know the limits of God's grace um, and just let God be God. It's impossible to define them, I should say. It, um, the other day, I went to Costco. I went to Costco Evil Bay, and there were a lot of people there, more people than usual. And I was trying to, like, social distance, and a couple people were getting kind of close, and I have my cart with all our stuff. I'm thinking, is there a holiday coming up that I don't know about? You know, why is everybody here? Is there a game? Uh, there could be a game because I have no clue ever what's happening in sports. I'm like, is it the Super Bowl? I don't think this is the time of year. Why is everybody here? And then I realized it was because Costco's coupon book came out. The coupon book. Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever used the Costco coupon book. There's always stuff on it, right? There's stuff I want to get. Most of the time it's like electronic. So like I don't even know what's there until I'm shopping the, the, shopping the aisles and I realize, oh, that's on sale. Oh, that's on sale. Some people actually read the book and they strategize where to walk. Um, I just kind of walk around and pull things off the aisles. So there are a lot of people there, and I think that people were there because of the coupon book. They wanted to get things while they were still on sale. So I want to invite you to think about God's grace and mercy using a Costco coupon book metaphor. <laughs> are you ready for this? Okay, it might be a bit of a stretch. And I have to give full credit to Pastor Dan, um, who's not here today. He's visiting some supporters um, at another church. But I have to say, he's the one who thought of this. So full credit to Pastor Dan. He's saying um, this idea, let's say that Costco's coupon book, right, which comes out every month. Let's say that it says that your favorite organic bread is on sale at a discounted price. 
right? But there's a, a term limit on how long it's going to be on sale for, right? At some point in time, that will expire. So we don't know whether or not um, what will happen next month, right? Either to the bread or the price. So if you want bread, now is the time to get it. You have all the necessary information to choose well. The bread is there and it's available at a good price. Now, it's possible that the bread could go on sale in the future, but we don't have the same clarity about that. The availability or the cost, we don't work for Costco, we don't know. So therefore, there's an urgency to get your bread now before the month ends. On the other hand, we don't have authority to speak for the store and say bread will never be available again for any who missed out, especially if there's evidence that some people missed the sale period in the past, but still received bread. Whew, you with me? That's a metaphor. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Dan, for that. So the thing is, is that God knows so much more about what's going to happen in the next life after our death than we do. Those people in Noah's day, they didn't know they were going to get a second chance at life. Heck, they didn't even take the first chance they were given when they were alive. But they were extended mercy by the God whose loving intent doesn't end when we die. If you've ever been concerned about a loved one who died, you're not sure, accepted Christ, or people who have never, aren't part of people groups that have never heard the good news of the gospel, you can trust that God's loving intent for them hasn't ended. We can trust in the God who cares more than we do. There's nothing that is outside of God's scope of action, although we can't predict it or try to control it. God wants everyone to be fed as soon as possible, and God isn't limited by a coupon book. We see from this passage in 1 Peter that God can still bring about life after death after death, as God's loving intent for us doesn't end when we die. And that brings us to the third principle we can see from the sermon, we forget Jesus preached. And the third principle is this, God is willing to go anywhere for your sake. God is willing to go anywhere for our sake. God is willing to go anywhere. Throughout his lifetime, Jesus consistently shows us that he's in the business of reaching out to people who need it, right? He says he's the good shepherd who leaves behind the 99 sheep, right, to go search of the one who is missing, right? Jesus says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then Jesus demonstrates this by going to people who need him the most. Then he says, it's not, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Jesus says. Jesus is willing to go anywhere, to the cross, to suffer, to be crucified, to die, to go to the place of the dead, continuing his rescue mission of love, even there. You might be wondering, well, that's really interesting, but what does this mean for us now? What does this mean for us now? I'll tell you a couple things it means for me, a couple of takeaways I have from this text. And honestly, this text deeply moves me. It moves me to, to think of the love and mercy of Christ, who not just ascended into heaven, but first descended into the depths. It gives me joy. It moves my heart. That God was not willing that any should perish. It's a couple takeaways I have to share with you as we seek to be people who, you know, want to live a cruciform life, right? 
We want to be people shaped by Jesus' way, by his work on the cross and beyond. So one of the takeaways I want to leave you with is just that it's not too late. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for your son or your daughter, a child, a loved one. It's not too late for your friend. If there's anyone in your life that you're afraid might be outside the reach of God, know that they're not outside of God's reach. God has descended lower than we can imagine and traveled further than we could ever predict. You have not traveled too far either to be outside the bounds of God's grace. So regardless of what's been done to you, regardless of maybe you have done or not done, God's love is extended to you. God's love is extended to your family, your friends, to your community, to your workplace, to the whole world. So don't, don't wait when you have a chance to, to accept the love and the mercy, the graciousness of God. Don't wait. If you have a chance to, to do life with God, don't put it off. Not because God won't give you any more chances, but because you might not give yourself any more chances, right? We humans, we can get really stubborn and hard-headed, and we can get into ways of living in life that actually make us less receptive to God and to others and to our own inner life, less open to receive God's gifts, right? We can go down rabbit holes that are very hard to come back from and that have untold consequences for ourselves and others. I think of the dad in Southern California who, who killed his two children this last week after he became convinced from the social media algorithms he was falling into and all the rabbit holes and conspiracy theories he fell down, being convinced that they were uh, lizard people and that he had to rid the world of them. Right? We can go down these rabbit holes. We can get stuck. We can have really terrible consequences for ourselves and others. But right now it's not too late. When you have the chance to move towards Christ, take it. We have the chance to share someone the good news of God's love and mercy. The God who wants to do life with people, wants to come and live inside of us and free us from the ways of living that, are, that hold us captive, that hold us back. When you have the chance to tell someone that, tell them. Because who knows when they'll be open again. Don't wait. It's not too late. The second one is be humble. And for those of us who've been Christians for a really long time, um, I think, and depending what streams of the faith we grew up in, we can all get really uh, sort of confident about what we believe, and that's good. But sometimes we can be overconfident and think that our way is God's way. And we can kind of have this, I, I think sometimes we need to resist the urge that we have salvation all figured out, or God's grace all, all figured out, right? The religious experts of Jesus Day did this, as I mentioned earlier, and they were wrong. So um, just remember to be humble. The cruciform life is a humble life. Don't put yourself over God and say who's in and who's out, but let God be God. The third takeaway is fearlessly care about people. Fearlessly care about people the way God does. I was reading um, some of this in college theology professor Keith Johnson, who writes about Jesus' descent to the dead, um, which is traditionally called the harrowing of hell. He writes about this, and he says that to affirm with the fathers and mothers of our faith that Jesus descended into hell means that the Christ who now lives in us as Christians, the Christ who lives in you and me, is the same Christ who did not view the borders of hell and death as barriers blocking him from saving. Right? And now you and me, we're in the church. Right? And Christ lives in us, not just individually, but also corporately as the church. We can have confidence to fearlessly care for others, 
to, to go even towards the brutal and terrifying edges of human life without fear. We don't have to be afraid about our lives, what will happen to us now or what will happen to us later, because God cares more about ourselves than we do. We don't have to be afraid about being present for other people, right? In this world where there's so much, so much sickness, right? COVID is rampaging. People are anxious and afraid. We don't have to fear being present for other people where they're at because God cares about their life and their body now and their life to come and ours too. We can be fearless like Jesus is. We can work for people's well-being now as well as later. As they close, I want to leave you with just a few words that um, C.S. Lewis, who is a great author and professor and theologian, it's one of my favorites. He wrote this in a letter to his friend Mary, who asked him what would happen to the heathen, right, to those people who weren't believers when they died. He gives a really wonderful answer. I have it on the screen. I'm going to actually read it to you. Um, I didn't want to, it was kind of hard to like excerpt the part that is really applicable to us right now from his his letter. So I'm just going to read the whole thing. He says this, and you can, if you want to take a screenshot of it, you can, um, and I'll read it just so you can, yeah, I'll read it because that might help. On the heathen, see 1 Timothy 4.10, this passage, it talks about Christ being Savior of all. Also in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, the people don't sound as if they were believers. So he's talking about, um, actually, just go read it sometime. Also, the doctrine of Christ descending into hell. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Also, the doctrine of Christ descending into hell and preaching to the dead. That would be outside time and include those who died long after him, as well as those who died before he was born as man. I don't think we know the details. We must just stick to the view that A, all justice and mercy will be done. And B, but that nevertheless, it is our duty to do all we can to convert believers. I don't think we know the details, C.S. Lewis says. I'm inclined to believe with him. What we do know is that God is more merciful than we are, cares more, goes farther, travels further, builds a longer table. Can we let this immense love and immense reach move us too? Let's pray. Jesus, we don't understand all the details. If we tried to figure it out, we'd probably get it wrong. But thank you for being the wonderful God who goes all the way to the edges of existence where there is pain, where there are people who are hard-headed, those who didn't listen. You go all the way to the edges of existence, even in the realm of the dead. And you are a good God there too, showing yourself to be the rescuer, the one who loves beyond borders. Be with us now as your church in the world, as people of faith. Help us to have faith in you, risen one, you who descended but also ascended. Help us to be without fear and work with our fear. Yes, listen to it and also listen to your voice that says you do not need to be afraid. I care about your life even more than you do. Help us listen to your words of love and affirmation as well as to your words of call to the world around us, to people who don't yet know you. Help us to be your light, your witnesses, your church in the world. We ask this in all our prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.